This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. As you all know, this is a business that I started to give back more to conservation. We roast premium coffee and it ships out within hours of roasting. This guarantees that when you order, you get the freshest coffee possible available. The kicker, we donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. Check us out at SkullBrewCoffee.com and let's do some good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 120. Today I'm hanging with my good friend Tom Titlow of Relive the Hunt, and we're talking whitetails and turkey. So stay tuned. What is happening, folks? Happy Wednesday to you. You are listening to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And first, before we get this party started, I have to take care of a little bit of, uh, oh, it's not business, but I have to wish all the mothers out there a happy Mother's Day this past uh, this past Sunday. Um, I hope all of you had a chance to kick your feet up for those of, uh, of you mothers who actually are listening to this podcast. Um, if you are not listening and the husbands are or the dads are, I hope you uh, were able to give your your uh, better half a, a, a day off and allow her to kick her feet up and, and, and enjoy her day. We uh, had some kind of crap, crappy weather here on Sunday here for Mother's Day in PA. But we made the best of it. We just kind of hung out inside. My daughter and I made some, some breakfast for my wife and just kind of uh, – 
relaxed and enjoyed each other's company allowed her to kind of take a day off and not have to really do uh, anything that she didn't want to do, which is uh, which is great considering that, you know, she puts up with my my BS for 364 days out of the year. So I guess she could have at least one. She's entitled to many more than that, but uh, happy to do uh, do the Mother's Day for her and try to do it right. Um, this past weekend before uh, Mother's Day, I did get a chance to actually, you know, well, first, let me back up for a second and say that I had yet another failed turkey hunt. Um, and we'll get into the details of that at some point, but it's not a whole lot to whole lot to talk about. So what I did was I ended up turning my attention to scouting on Saturday and uh, <clears throat> actually hit up a new piece that a, a friend of mine had turned me on to. So there's a there's a buddy of mine who um, the, well, he's a new buddy of mine. He's actually a friend through um, from Chad and the fellows at, uh, at uh, Exodus. And uh, he used to actually live, not Chad, but uh, our mutual friend now, uh, used to live near me and uh, was had a couple of different pieces that he hunted that he had some big deer on. And, uh, you know, for those of you that have been following the podcast for a little while, you know that last year I was hunting some uh, suburban swamp areas around where I live and had some really good deer on it. So it's not as though good deer um, aren't, aren't in the area. It's just finding them can be a challenge because it's a lot of small parcels. It's a lot of uh, kind of suburb urban style hunting um even the game lands or the state lands um you know you get some smaller chunks um that can be dealing with some some pretty nasty pressure and so forth um and so it really kind of takes you know some digging around to find a couple pieces that might be overlooked or where you know a couple you know good deer might be hiding out and so this particular gentleman and i'll have him on the podcast here at some point and we'll talk about you know how he goes out rooting out good deer and he has a pretty slick method for um for for getting permission and stuff like that too so we'll talk to him probably about that as well but uh, because he doesn't live in the area anymore and he moved to Ohio, you know, he, you know, Chad reached out to me and was like, hey, you know, I have a buddy. He used to live around your area. Good dude. You know, he might have some places you might want to check out. And he said, you know, he'd give you a heads up on a couple spots that he used to find that were pretty productive. And so we started texting back and forth and he sent me a couple locations and I had a chance to go out and check one of them out yesterday. And it looks pretty freaking good. I actually jumped a deer out of its bed. Um, so I found a, a bedding area for sure. Um big bodied deer don't know you know this time of year who knows it could have been you know i didn't see it for too terribly long so it could have been a a doe who was taken off to try to distract me from maybe where you know her bedding area is and and, and so forth it, it maybe it could have been a buck i don't know um you know a little too early to be able to see any type of um velvet growth in, in these parts and if they are you know they're just they're just barely popping to where it's like i didn't get a chance to really you know examine but nonetheless there was a lot of deer sign in this area uh, it's in kind of back behind a housing development and there's kind of an industrial area that's, that's near this. Uh, so I was able to kind of get in there and, and, and do some checking and got a, and got a camera hung. So, you know, we'll give that a good soak and I'll probably, I'll probably wait till, you know, I don't know, probably July sometime and I'll cruise back in there and, and, and see what I have on camera. Um, you know, I, it's going to be interesting this year to kind of figure out how I, parse out my time on a couple of these pieces the good news is is that this piece and one other piece that i need to yet i yet need to scout um that he turned me on to are actually on my way to work um or on my way to work in a very roundabout way so you know it's it's quite possible that i could catch some morning hunts um in this location you know before work you know and, and get in and hunt for just a couple hours and slide into the office and then depending you know early October, I can probably get out, um, if I get out in a reasonable, in a reasonable amount of time out of the office, I can probably slide to one of these spots and get just a couple hours in before dark and get some evening hunts in. I'm not sure it, I'm going to have to do a little bit more examining, but first glance, it kind of looks like this is going to be a good, more, 
like evening spot, there's a couple, you know, what I'll say, quote unquote, food sources. It's and it's not food like you know folks living in farm country would think of food uh, per se. It's just a big kind of overgrown field that you know. I don't know if it gets mowed for hay or, or what the deal is. Um, I'm going to guess probably not. Um, but that is kind of what is adjacent to this bedding area that I kind of stumbled into. Um, and I'm imagining that all the trails kind of pinched down. There's like, there's two really nice pinch points, um, that kind of go out into this area where I'm imagining that they're feeding. And, uh, it, it's, it, it's pretty obvious kind of the, the, the path that they're taking. So I'm imagining that this area is probably going to be a good evening spot, but we'll kind of let the, you know, cameras kind of talk to us a little bit and, and tell us, and I'll go in and try to see, you know, during the course of the year, once, you know, deer start laying down some serious sign and see if I can figure out, you know, if, if the place gets hot or not. Um, cause this time of year, it's, I'm not, I'm not able to tell. I see some old rubs and so forth at this point, there's enough green on the ground that I'm not able to see, you know, if there's any historical, you know, or scrapes anywhere that I could necessarily tell. But I will say that there are some goat paths in there as far as how the deer are traveling. Um, so that's good news. So I did find a tree, um, and just kind of prepped the tree. And when I say prep the tree, there wasn't a ton to prep necessarily. I just kind of cleared out a little bit of the brush that was down along the bottom of the tree. Cause this, there's a, you know, I'm going to just, I don't remember which direction, you know, I was facing to be quite honest, but we'll just say if we're going with the normal North, South and East and West, there was a trail that was running North and South. And there was another trail that was running East and West that kind of intersect right near this, uh, right by this tree. And I got maybe I'm um, 15 yards, maybe 20 yards off this intersection. And then there's a trail that was kind of lower along this Creek bottom that was going out to, uh, where the, where that fallow field was as well. So, um, found a nice tree kind of, cleaned out some brush around it and stuff like that. You know, I'll have plenty of time to go back in and kind of prep it further if I need to, but that at least is where I'm going to start, um, my hunting there. And I, the challenge with some of these suburban spots really is trying to find your access in. Um, you know, it's <laughs> the easiest way in would probably be like if he had access through someone's property to be able to walk through someone's backyard into one of these places, but you typically don't. So you're usually kind of forced to find like some type of, you know, in this case, some type of dead end street, you know, which nobody, owns that piece of the property where I can slide into this, you know, this particular area. Um, cause otherwise, you know, it's kind of surrounded by property that's owned and there's really only one little gateway in. And that's part of the challenge that I, that I've been running up to, you know, this would be really just the second year that I've done any type of urban slash suburban hunting. And that to me is probably one of the biggest challenges that I've had in these particular scenarios is just getting the right access. Um, because it's not like, you know, you know, state game lands, you know, that is, you know, maybe it has some houses around it and stuff like that, but you have enough entry points that you can usually find a, you know, what I'll say an accommodating way in, um, uh, to not screw up your hunt, you know, too, too awful bad. You know, when you're hunting some of these parcels that are, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40 feet, you know, acres, you know, in terms of size, but it's completely surrounded by, you know, private, you know, landowners or, you know, basically it's a housing development of some sort. You really at a, at a disadvantage to find a, a way in because everything is pretty much owned around it. It's usually like these little islands of, of, of land that are accessible, um, in, in between or, you know, or behind these areas that you, that you have, um, that you have access to, or they have permission to, um, you know, which was the same case that I had on that piece that I was hunting in that swamp this year, where it was like, yes, it was, a, you know, a public accessed area. Um, but it was privately owned pretty much all around it. And there was one way in and one way out unless you had, you know, permission by, you know, one of the neighbors. Um, and they all pretty much have their property pretty heavily posted. Um, this particular area isn't what I would call a 
hunter-centric kind of area, per se. Um, everyone kind of owns a small lot, half-acre, acre lot that kind of surrounds this this piece. So I'm, I don't think that they're going to be super favorable, you know, um, allowing me to walk through their yard to get back there to hunt. So the good news is that the access that I do have or the two access points that I did kind of discover, I think either, the, either of them will work, uh, just depending on which part of the piece I want to hunt because there's two areas that I think that I might want to focus on. Um, so depending on which piece I'll be hunting or which section I'll be hunting, I have two possible ways in. So that's good. Um, there's also a small stream there too. So I could take the stream in as well. If push came to shove, um, just depending on how high it is, it's not a super, you know, big stream, not super deep. Um, but no, of course, just depends on how, you know, what the weather has been and how, how, you know, deep it is in certain spots. I didn't walk the whole thing. So, you know, it has a, a possibility in the dark of getting wet. So we'll try to avoid that. But that's what I, I did this past weekend. Got a little deer work in, which was good. I'll look forward to scouting the next piece, hopefully in the next week or two. And then I'll be headed back here over the, uh, here in the next two weeks or so to get ready to put some food plots in on the, uh, on the family property back home at my dad's piece, I think I'm going. I think I mentioned this in the past. I'm going to be doing soybeans, so probably be the end of this month that we'll we'll do that and get some uh, get some cameras out, and we'll be getting ready for Velvet Fest. And speaking of Velvet Fest, it's not quite here yet, but did want to make mention and give you guys a quick reminder that uh, Exodus is uh, running a deal right now. They've been in business now for four years, and uh, this month May marks their four year anniversary of being open. And so, as a way of saying thank you, they wanted to you know pass along some savings to all the listeners of this uh, particular podcast. So from now to the twenty eighth, you can use the code Year Four. That's Y E A R, the number four, to save twenty five percent on the Exodus Lift Two, the Exodus Trek, and they also have a newly released solar panel. So head over to ExodusOutdoorGear.com and check them out. Use that promo code year four and save yourself some cash and get ready for Velvet Fest. One other thing to make quick mention, I know I mentioned it on the last podcast, but the BHA, the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, are throwing a uh, huge East Coast party or, or their version of the rendezvous called Muster in the Mountains um, here on June 22nd and 23rd. And this is in Morris, Pennsylvania. It's completely free. Um, all you need to do is go to the BHA um, website and go to the Pennsylvania chapter and there'll be a muster in the mountains link or you can just Google mustard, muster in the mountains, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers, and it will come up and you can RSVP and let folks know that you're coming. It's, gonna, it's completely free. There's going to be a lunch. There's going to be a dinner. There's going to be a bunch of games, a bunch of competitions. There's going to be music. Of course, there's going to be beer. Uh, myself and my wife will be there. We'll be uh, slinging coffee, selling some coffee, and I'll be doing some podcasting as well. So we hope to see all you folks out there visiting the muster in the mountains. So with that, I have a cool show today. I'm uh, hanging out with my buddy Tom Titlow. So Tom is a Pennsylvania fella. He's uh, born and raised in this area. Been hunting this area for uh, for a long time. And Tom's one of those dudes I've met just a handful of years ago, maybe two, two or three years ago. We live maybe 30 minutes from one another, but it seems like we can only ever get together when we see each other at ATA, which is we travel you know, however far to do that. Um, but recently we've made more of a point. We did some shed hunting together this year. Um, you know, we talked about doing some deer hunting together last year. He's the one who turned me on to the conservancy that I'm a member of that for that piece that property that I hunted last year. Um, and, uh, we've, hopefully we'll have plans to do a turkey hunt at some point, but Tom just has a knack of getting it done when it comes to turkeys. Killed a great deer last year. Um, and it's just a good storyteller, man. So, uh, super stoked to have Tom on and I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Today, you got a special treat. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
This one's been a long time in the making. I'm here with my buddy uh, Tom Titlow from Relive the Hunt. What's going on, man? Nothing much, man. Happy to be here. This is a, a long time coming. Um, it seems like we never can get together ever, and we're neighbors, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly, dude. It's, we always make fun of with each other where we – well, we met at ATA, right, two years ago. Yes. Like, I knew you, or I should say I knew of you, and I knew that you lived around here. Well, I'm insta-famous. Right, you're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because um, we, we were following each other on Insta, Instagram and Facebook, I think, because I knew of Cole and I knew of the podcast, right. you know, and I knew you from that. And then we had a bunch of mutual friends – and then we met at ATA and then we, of course, you know, you're at ATA and you always make, this is the, the cool thing about trade shows is that you meet a ton of people. The bad thing about trade shows is that you make a bunch of promises to a bunch of people that you're going to go hang out that you never hang out with until exactly. the next trade show. And that was kind of what happened with us where it was like, we knew we lived like 30 minutes apart from each other. It was like, Hey man, we should totally be hanging out. And, uh, it would make total sense. Oh, it would make too much sense, but we never see each other except for ATA. Even though we live 30 minutes away, we travel a thousand miles and that's usually where we hang out. <laughs> well, I said it to you this year at ATA. I said, Hey Clint, nice to see you again. It hasn't been since last ATA. Since right. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's like, it's funny cause we'll text all year long, you know, about hunting or whatever, you know, and it just never works out that we, that we're able to get together. I mean, it doesn't help that we work different schedules to, to yes. a degree, you yes. know, which is always kind of a challenge, but you know, I of course know you, you're a good buddy of mine. You know, we, we talk a lot of hunting together. We shed hunt together, um, scout together, you know, shoot together and all those things. But for those folks out there that don't know who you are, if you wouldn't mind, just give a, a little background about yourself, what you do for a living, those types of things. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia. Uh, I am a sheet metal worker in local 19 work currently out of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do much traveling for work. I'm all, everything is basically located in center city, Philadelphia and some outside of the suburbs and uh sheet metal worker is, if you got anybody that don't know what that is, is uh duck work, HVAC contracting. Um, basically I go into the high risers downtown and install duck work, demo duck work, install new things, retrofitting stuff in office buildings, for, you know, tenant fit outs and right. stuff like that. So right. it's a, a well-paying job, a good career. And that's, I uh, basically work so I can go hunting. Right, so. right, right. And you've been doing this for a long time too, man. Like this is something you got into like right out of school, right? Yeah, I was, I was 19 years old. Didn't when your I, family do this too? Yeah my, yeah, my dad was in it. He just retired, so good for him. Yep, now, yeah, living that good life. Heck yeah, man. He's, <laughs> he just bought a nice bass boat. There you go. And he's dying to get it out. Nice. Um. But yeah, at, I got in the union when I was 19 uh, with influence from my family, of course. Right. Um, and it's probably one of the best decisions I ever made as a career choice. Um, if I would have known about how the outdoor industry worked when I was 19, I probably would have went that route instead. Right. But I can't complain with what I do now. Yeah. It, you know, health benefits and yeah. the well-paying job pays my bills and it pays for me to be able to do what I love to do. So. Yeah, yeah. And I know that you get, you know, I'm always envious of you during, so this time of year, I'm not so envious because I, I I'm a morning person, but you're like, you're up early, dude. Yeah. You this morning me? I started yeah. at 5 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still like sawing logs at 5 a.m. <laughs> but whenever, when deer season rolls around, right, it's like, man, you're in early and you're out with daylight to burn to where you can actually get some evening hunts in. Which, oh, absolutely. You know, I could, I could hunt 
every single afternoon if I chose to. But I feel like you do because I get a lot of texts from you. <laughs> hey, seen anything? Yeah. I'm not out, man. I'm still on the desk. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm staring at a computer right now. I hate you. Go back to work. <laughs> but uh, so why don't we start with, you know, we're in the midst of turkey season. And, you know, we can talk about my failed turkey season to this point, which, which would be it's a really It's not failed yet if you haven't gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm going to admit right here, which is terrible, that I have yet to get out for turkey season. So... I started telling this story a little bit and I'll, I'll, I'll tell it with you, you know, cause you, so Tom and I do some scouting together and this, you know, we'll talk about this a little later when we get into another section of the podcast, but you know, I've probably the past like year, two years since I kind of started looking at some pieces to hunt around our area. Cause for the longest time I was traveling back home to hunt for the most part, cause we had the family property and you know, I'd make the three hour, three and a half hour drive. Um, I really just wasn't familiar with some of the places around here. I'd start to kind of test some out and didn't have any, any real luck. And then finally this year I started kind of exploring, you know, I guess past years I started exploring a little bit more with the help of you kind of saying, Hey, there's a spot over here you might want to check out or, you know, just, you have some, you know, historical knowledge of the area that you, you know, kind of helped me out with, which was great. Um, and so I found this Turkey spot that I told you about right. and you were like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you're like, I know exactly where you're at. You're like, yeah, I think that'd probably be a pretty good spot. It's 66 acres. It's small marked it on the gps and i was like perfect i was like first day of turkey season i'm gonna head out there i was like it's a small piece it's only like 66 acres so it's probably gonna be overlooked like shit probably nobody be on it you know i'm like cool so i get up early opening day get out there plenty of time it's dark out i'm driving up to it i pull up to like the little parking area and there's already five cars or five trucks parked there and i was like you gotta be kidding me and i thought this was like a slam dunk yeah so welcome I, to pennsylvania yeah exactly I thought it was a slam dunk, so I didn't have a backup piece at all to like try to go to. I ended up turning around, just coming home and like mowing my grass, and like there was a bu- <laughs> there was a bunch of tree limbs I had to cut down. So at, like six o'clock in the morning, oh, I was back by like six thirty. Oh. I'm out there like sawing off well, you know, tree limbs and stuff like that, you know, the during the turkey opener. And then last weekend we had fam or we had friends in town, so I wasn't able to get out for for that. So this this weekend is the weekend I'm going to finally get out. But you got to do it. Yeah. It's one of those things, man, where it's, you know, we were talking about this just a little bit before we started recording where it's, you know, your buddy Cole that you do the podcast with, you were saying, you know, he doesn't get out to turkey hunt much, you know, which I'm kind of in the same same right. boat where it's... It's not that he doesn't want to. He right. just either A, doesn't have the time or B, doesn't prioritize it like most people or other people do. Right, right. And John and I have even talked about this, but John does, he's, he's you know, he likes to he likes to turkey hunt. Like he makes a point to, to get out. And for me, it's one of those things where... You know, it's, I ask a lot of my wife, like from, you know, mid-September till, you know, right after Christmas and sometimes even beyond that because I'll hunt late season if I don't have, you know, meat in the freezer or whatever. And so basically those months, like she knows like weekends, like unless it's a bad weather Saturday, you know, it's like I'm, I'm not going to be around, you know, at right. all. Um, and any day that I have off from work, as long as it's not a Sunday and fingers crossed that we get Sunday hunting. Fingers you know, are crossed. For the love Pray of God. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if, you know, other, otherwise it's like, you know, if I'm off on a day, it's like, I'm in, I'm in the woods, you know, especially once you hit October, mid to late October, I'm in dark to dark, you know, at least early part of the season, it's like, I'll predominantly hunt evenings unless I have some Intel that tells me I should be in there in the morning. And she doesn't complain at all. She doesn't say a word. She just lets me do what I want to do. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so you won't find too many women that allow you to do that. Yes, exactly. So my wife is a gem. And so I almost feel like, you know, 
during that time of year, it's like there's like yard work stuff I let go that I don't do. You know, I mean, I'll mow the grass and do the stuff that has to get done, but like the stuff that's like project based, I just blow it all off until spring hits. And then once the weather breaks, it's like I basically make a mad dash from like end of March to like end of August of like just doing everything I can possibly do around I'm in the, the house. Same boat, brother. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I went out that opening morning and I was like, I knew where there was another public piece that I thought there probably wasn't going to be anybody there because I really didn't think that it was going to be a great turkey spot. But I was like, if I want to get out, I was like, I could just drive to that. And it was only probably like 15 minutes away from where that original spot was. But as I passed that spot and I made it to like the, or as I passed the main spot and made it to like the next stoplight or stop sign rather, I was just sitting there at the stop sign thinking, I was like, man, I could go hunt. I was like, or this is how you know you're getting older. <laughs> when you're, you know, I was like, or I could go back home pick up all those, all that brush that I need to get out of the yard and cut down all those tree limbs. I've been telling my wife I'm going to cut down and, and gain take, some brownie points and take care of all that. And there's a pile of stuff that I had done right before deer season came in last year that I had a pile in the, my back backyard. And I was like, and I can pick all that crap up and like, take it to the dump and be there and done by like, you know, early morning and be done. And then I can help her with some stuff around the house or whatever. And so that's what I did instead of turkey hunting, you know? So as much as I wanted to go out and turkey hunt, I feel like I made a pretty good choice for the longevity of my hunting for Absolutely. this season. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Yeah, but... It's that's going to work out. Yeah, but that's enough. So, moral of the story here is, is like, I was a good husband. I'm going to try to be a good turkey hunter this weekend. So, that's the plan. You, on the other hand, are able to... You're, you're a do-it-all, man. You're like husband of the year. <laughs> well, I'm not married. <laughs> turkey killer. <laughs> I'm just lumping you in, dude. Yeah, whatever. yeah. I mean, basically just say I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you had a killer turkey season, man. So I want to hear about that. Yeah, so far, I mean, so good. Uh, usually every year, once turkey season gets around, I get fired up. Um, I get really into it. Um, uh, not, I, I, I don't compare it with deer hunting because it's to me it's like two different levels, so two different types of hunting and two different types of emotions and adrenaline rushes. It's it's different mm -hmm. to me. Yep. Uh, but regardless, I I do get into each one equally right about the same like I, I go i'm hardcore so yeah this i usually take off first few days of the season uh i get so up that's there. how you know you're into it yeah like if you're I, taking time off from work to do it like that's my criteria it's like if i'm not yeah. willing to take time off to do it it's like it's just kind of like a like turkey hunting's a hobby for me right, right. tail hunting for me is a passion you know yeah. what i mean it's like i will take off work i will skip family functions you know for that but sorry go ahead yeah I, so i take off Usually, I take off the first three days of the season. Um, you know, I really can't play it by the weather because with my job, I have to just say, hey, here's my notice. Right. I'm taking these couple days off. So, it is what it is. I deal with whatever conditions are thrown at me. Whatever so, you're handed, yeah. Yeah, and usually, you know, within those first, you get this first Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. In one of those four days, you're going to have a killer day, usually. Right, right. Um, with the past, I don't know five or six years I've been doing this. Right. I think I've shot a turkey in opening week almost every wow. year. Nice. Yeah. So this year uh, was the same. No, nothing changed. I was able to uh, successfully kill a turkey on the first Monday of the season when it was 27 degrees out. That was cold. Wasn't it, it was cold. Yeah. Uh, it was the, I, was, I was just saying to my buddy that I was hunting with, that was probably the coldest turkey hunt I've ever been on. Really? 
it snowed all day the day before on Sunday. No, were you? Where were you? Were you down here? Or were you up? No, I was up in, up north in okay. uh, northeast Pennsylvania, Bradford County. Yep, yep. Because you guys got a spot up there. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, uh, it was it was wild. Uh, Sunday. This is the reason why I would love to hunt Sundays. Sundays we're all sitting in the cabin and just you know beautiful weather. No, it, <laughs> oh, it, it was snow. raining all yeah, day, yeah. and then it turned to snow. And how about a freaking gobbler comes out into the field? And my uncle had left one of his Jake decoys out there. Are you serious? It went over there and beat that thing up <laughs> right in front of us all. We're looking at the cabin like, we'd be out hunting right now. Right. It was 8 o'clock in the morning. Right. In these wild conditions. But right. this thing comes strolling out in the field and just beats the crap out of this Jake decoy. And we're like, I'm like see, this is why we got to hunt something. Right, exactly. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I get, I'm a firm believer that all the deer that I want to shoot are around my, my spots on Sundays. No doubt. No doubt. They, they know. Right. So you're up north, you're up north to hunt. And so your opening morning, how was your opening day? Was it good? <laughs> it, it was successful as in we were able to see, we got, we got on some birds. Okay. So usually the night before, so Friday night, I'll go out and try to locate them, put them to bed, right. put them to sleep, whatever you want to call it with an alcohol or whatever. But it was super windy. If you remember, we were texting actually that that evening. I think yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So I had a feeling I wasn't going to be able to hear anything that night, or let alone them hear me to answer right. any of the call. So from hunting up here for years, I have a good idea where birds are roosted, or right. from past history, like they do the same things year after year. Like right. They use the same terrain, and I'm hunting mount mountains, so. Right. I have good idea of where birds might be. I don't know if they're definitely going to be there, but right. history tell history right. you, seems you, to repeat itself. Right. If you know a property, it's like I know back on our family farm. It's like and this is like the idiocy that I have. Right. It's like I know the two spots on that farm where they roost, no doubt. I see them there every year, and I know when they pitch down, when they come out, come off the roost, they hit one or two fields, depending. Right. And they work this one hollow. If they if they're Roosted in the one spot on the, you know, on the neighbor's side of the field, which it's it's our field, but if it's, it's on that property line. Mm -hmm. If they roost on that side, they'll fly over that first field down into the hollow, then they work their way up to the next field that's over, you know, on the next ridge over. If they, uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, it's the opposite way. They'll fly into that first field. If they roost across that field within that hollow they'll pitch down and then they'll work their way up the hollow and into the next field on, on top of the next ridge or whatever right so that's the two places that you really want to hunt turkeys on that property and my friend tate hunts down on that property just about every year and every year he gets into turkeys like yeah and, and usually kills one the opening morning because it's like they'll work like that like clockwork yep. you know so they usually i mean it doesn't even have to be a bird that was there for four years right and it's doing the same thing over and over it's just the natural movement of a turkey, why are, they, why are they there? The habitat they're using, the trees they're roosting in. Right. And Where do they feel safe? Yeah. Yep. And that's just, it's just, uh, you know, the habitat basically mm -hmm. when it comes down to, and the food source, whatever yep. they're, they're eating. So, you know, the past few years in a row, I've noticed that the turkeys have been roosting in this one area or another area. I went to the one area that I really love hunting and didn't get anything to gobble, even though I knew that I know there was birds down there. Just a matter of them didn't. Right. I was up too high, and they were down too low. So right. we didn't hear them. Right. So we just went with Plan B, and I was like, I was getting into turkeys last year a lot. They got to be down here. 
we get down there and I'm on public land now. And okay. so we're waiting in this bottom of this field, just waiting for the birds to start chirping and the, everything to start waking up and waiting for the turkeys to start gobbling. So I'm blowing the alcohol and it's not quite windy yet. And I hear some twigs snapping. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, is there a deer or a bear walking up this road? And here comes a guy walking in on us. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, but luckily we were there. We had parked our vehicle down there to like kind of like let someone know that, hey, we're up in here. Right. To either A, deter them or B, let's have a conversation. If we do run on each other, where are you going? Right. Because we were on public land. Right. Um, that guy had did not want anything to do with me. No. He walked up and then totally like took a hard right and wanted to avoid me. And I'm like, so I purposely went over and got his intention. And was right. Like, hey, buddy, like, you know, we're both hunting the same area, obviously. Where, where are you going? Did you roost a turkey last night? Like, I'll stay out of your hair. Right. And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, are you staying down this end or are you going to the left and a right, right, straight, right, back to the car? I don't know what you're doing. Right. He goes, I'm just going up that way. I'm like, are you planning on staying down there? Because I don't want to mess you up. Right. I'm, I'm trying to do you a solid. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you're making so, it real hard for me to be a good guy right now. And, and he's like, yeah, I'm just going up that way. And I wanted to say just like, hey, good luck, you know, but he didn't even give me a chance. He just walked away. I'm like, man, that was so weird. So I was with my buddy, Tony, and I was like, dude, that guy was, he was, he was, yeah, he was kind of like a J.O. <laughs> I'm, right. like, I'm like, yeah, right. he was. Right. So long story short, we end up not hearing any turkeys right off the roost. Um, and then the way the wind was blowing, I was like, hey, if we get around this point, it shouldn't be, should be pretty quiet back there. And right. they roost right off this point here. So let's get down there and let's just set up like, and just see what happens. So we get set up and I put the decoys out. And it's kind of like it, what it happens is it's like this field comes to a point, it turns into like a, a logging trail, and then it kind of opens up into a mini field in the woods and then back down to a like a deer trail. Right. So we were set up in this mini field as a basic setup with no idea of what's happening, no turkey around that we know of. So we set up and I'm like, man, I kind of like feel way open. So I got up and I start getting like some stuff to brush us in and I hear the heck i'm like they roosted right behind us like a hen I'm like it just saw us i'm like what the heck so i just quick get, sit back down forgot about brushing us in and the way we were facing it was uphill so behind me was this tree so now since i've hid myself on the street this turkey can't see me anymore and i didn't call or anything for a good like 25 minutes just to make like hey forget about what you just seen right, right. and there's two decoys down there that didn't run away Right. So they might feel safe again. Right. Is was was going through my mind. Right. End up calling and just and I had told my buddy Tony, I said, Look, they probably can't hear us. It's very windy out. We're in a pretty good spot here where it's not as windy. So if one just happens to cruise the side of this hill or hears us, they might not gobble at all today. Right. But they might come in silence or just be still and wait. So Know, we're probably sitting there 45 minutes and we hear and I'm like that, is that a hen that was a hen that that must have been that hen she must have flew down right or whatever and is just kind of looking for us now and I, and I had thought it was coming from my right 
direct right. And that's the way I'm looking. So the tree that we're sitting behind is like a double, double base, double split tree. So right. I'm in front of one, he's in front of the other. So I'm like looking behind to my right. And I was like, Tone, I hear them. I hear them. I hear something coming. I hear it coming. Thinking it's over to my right, but they're coming directly from behind me. And I don't, I don't know this. So, but because I'm looking through this split, all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my God, Tony, there's four gobblers right behind us. <laughs> there are four Jakes. Okay. And I said, Tony, are you shooting a Jake? Because I won't shoot a Jake. That's right. just my choice. Yep. I don't care what anybody else does. Yep. Um, Tony's like, hell yeah, man, I'm, I'm shooting a Jake. I, this would be great. I'm like, all right, good. There's four of them right behind us. I'm like, they all have beards. He's, I'm like, so don't worry about, I'm, I, I identified everyone. Right. You've already assessed that. Yeah. yeah. I said, so just pick one and shoot. You don't have to worry about it. Right. And I'm looking, and then I'm like, I realize that they're not going to swing around us for him to get a shot. So I said, Tony, you have to roll. And I mean, I'm telling you, when they were right behind me, they were probably, if I stuck my gun bar out, I could have touched them. They were <laughs> super close, probably three or four yards away. Oh, wow. So I was like, and so I'm like, Tony, you have to like roll over, get up on your knees pick one out and shoot they all have beards just get one and shoot they're all legal you know there's no hen with them it's just right. four jakes now tony is a 320 pound <laughs> <guy>. nice <laughs> maybe not 320 but 300 pound guy right, right right yeah it's real easy for him to roll over so and- <laughs> he's not a navy seal that's for right, sure. right let's put it that way yeah <laughs> He actually phrased it as he was in the Navy walruses. In the Navy walruses? Yeah. yeah nice. <laughs> nice. So just picture this guy rolling over, That's getting up on his knees, getting his gun up, and then getting trying to get a shot off of these birds that now have definitely seen you. Right, right. So, But I knew he could do it even if it took him slower than normal right? because they were so close. Right, right. So he ends up to getting it and the Took a fifteen, I mean fifteen yards at one of these birds, and uh, he missed three Are times. <laughs> <laughs> but we nice. were—I was just cracking up because it was just a funny right. experience and just <laughs> funny watching him. And usually, I film a lot of my hunts. Right. And this year, I was just like, I really don't care. I'm not filming. And Dude, I, you should have had that on film. That would have been a Solid YouTube gold. Sensa- <laughs> yeah. sensation right there. That would have been a million hits right. within a few days. Right. That's awesome. Because <laughs> just the fact of him rolling over. That's pretty good, man. Anyway, he ended up missing, and uh, it was a windy day. Right. We, and here in PA, we're done by noon. Yeah. For the first two weeks, right? We we packed it in at like 1030. Because we, yeah. we both were staying until Wednesday. I'm like, we still got three more solid days of hunting. Yeah. This day is kind of a wash. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm not trying to go out there and look for a bird in this wind. They're like, they're never going to hear us. Right. You got to get 100% lucky. Yep. Yep. And just for everyone out there listening that doesn't know, Pennsylvania's uh, a state where uh, the first two weeks, pretty sure it's the first yeah, two weeks. Yeah. yeah. I think after it's, this weekend it opens. Yeah. I think the 13th might open for all day. Yeah. So you have to be done. You can only hunt gobblers um, till noon for like the first two weeks. And then that, like you said, I think it's that 
I guess it'd be the second. It might the be the third Monday. It'd be the third Monday of the season, I guess. Yeah. Is whenever when it opens up for full day is what I think it is. I don't think it opens up on the Saturday. I think it's that day. first Monday or yeah. that third third Monday. Yeah. Yep. So, um, all right. So that's the opening day. So what about so you you killed a nice gobbler? So right. how how did that all go down? So Sunday night I went out locating. Um because obviously the wind and the rain had everything had stopped. It got dead quiet out. I'm like, I'm going to hear some gobblers. And I'm feeling they're going to want to breed now. Right. Because it was windy on Saturday, and it rained all day Sunday. Right. They're looking for love yep. on Monday, yep. for sure. Sunday night and Monday. So I finally actually turned into a shed hunt for me because I just I wasn't hearing anything. I just started walking through some pines and right. looking for antlers. And... uh because you are a shed hunting fool. <laughs> I'm not as into it as most people, but I do get into it when I put my mind to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I ended up hearing a gobbler, and I was using like my out. Well, I don't have an alcohol. I just use my hands. Right. And uh, I got one that gobble, and I'm like, oh, I think I hear it too. And then, so I was able to like pinpoint them on. I kept getting the gobble, so I just opened up my map on Onyx, mm-hmm. and I had a really good idea of pinpointing this bird on the map. So that whole night I just was like studying the map, like getting a game plan where I can end up running this bird, like access. How am I going to get close to him? And I knew I had to get in there super early because the way this mountain lies, um, it's super steep. Mm -hmm. And I knew that these birds from previous years roost almost all, not all the way up, but like halfway up this mountain. And, And if I showed you on the map, how steep it is, you'd be like, Holy crap, dude, it's, yeah, I mean, up where you're at, I mean, it's 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 mountains. Yeah, it's it, not it's not a lot of ridges and stuff. It's mountains. So, I was not like, for a western guy, but for eastern for east coast, it's a mountain. Yeah, the top of this mountain's like yeah. two thousand two hundred feet or something. Yeah, which is not like like you said to a western. It's like mountain. yeah, you're like oh, that's a hill. That's a bluff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like it's like that's that's like my uh, my wood pile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but. I knew that I had to get in there super early to get under these birds without them seeing me because it's the way the, the land lies, it's it's really open hardwoods and turns into some like hemlocks and stuff. And I knew they'd be roosted up in like these hemlocks, which is like the third hard line on the map. Right, right. Which, if you want to call it a ridge on the map, you can. But when you look at it on the mountain, like in real life, you're like, wow, there's like nothing here. It's just straight up and down. Right. It's a little hump. So I was able to get up there super early, and these birds were just gobbling back and forth. It ended up being at least four different gobblers were up there, and probably that group of jakes, because right. I heard them trying to gobble. So I was able to get myself in between all these birds in the dark within 100 yards. Nice. Of the two that I had pinpointed on the map and when i got up there another one gobbled and he was in my lap i'm like oh my god i'm like i can't move anywhere so i just picked like the biggest tree and sat down and he's literally gobbling probably 40 yards away from me in a tree nice and i'm pretty sure i I never saw him in the tree but i could hear him spitting right i didn't ever really hear him drumming but i hear that right every once in a while right i think he's fanned out the tree right now this goblin right and uh i was like this is gonna happen the minute he flies down because if he flies down where i think he is like normally a turkey will 
they'll roost on the side of these hills. They'll go up high, fly straight into the tree, and then they'll fly straight out of the tree into the side of the mountain. Yep. It's like almost like jumping out of the tree, so it's not as far. I'm like, if he does what I think he's going to do, I'm like, he's going to jump right in my lap. And at probably like 5.56, he, he eventually flew down or jumped out of the tree, and he was 25 yards away. Wow. I never called. Are you once. serious? Never called. Wow. And that's how close I was by just kind of luck because I was setting up on the other two birds and then this one started going off out of nowhere. Right, but I mean, still, you were you were, you were were in the mix because you knew where they were going to be in general, right? Right. You know, so, I mean, you may not have known exactly where that bird was, but the fact that you had a really good idea. Of, well, I saw the other two fly down first. Oh, okay, they actually flew down first. The other two that I was set up on, or was the original game plan was. Right. I think the one I killed was the boss of all these birds because those two were like, I feel like were subordinate and roosted 100 or 80 yards off of him. He roosted here because then later I found out there was a lot of hens around me too. Oh, okay. So he was gobbling, 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 getting his hens together, strutting in the tree. Boss bird. Yeah. Yeah. And when he ended up flying down 25 yards away and in Pennsylvania, you, it, you have to identify the beard. Yep. Before you shoot. So as he was flying, I'm like, I saw his beard flopping. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I know he has a beard, but I definitely want to make sure. Right. So when he got flew down, I'm like, all right, I can kill you right now. But I'm like, I can't see his beard. Right. I'm like, where does it? I'm like, I swear I saw it when he flew. And then he was walked up and he did a little... Uh, like a turn, and I saw it like swing. Right. I'm like, all right, you're you're done. You're and done. Then, <laughs> so I was waiting for him just to like clear this one little branch, and he just stuck his head out and on. Smoked. Boom. Him. And it's like nice. literally, I said never called. I think that's the first turkey I ever shot never calling. Wow, that's crazy. And now, do you do you, what kind of call do you use? I use a mouth call. Oh, do you? Like ninety percent of the time. Okay. Yeah, I have. Nice. I really like the Woodhaven. Okay. The mouth calls. Or, I I tried mouth calling for the first time last year, with mixed results you know like <laughs> it's the, it's not easy no it's, it's not it um, takes practice like I, I spent a lot of windshield time yeah you know calling while i was in my truck you know trying to so when i was a kid me and my buddy we uh we had bought turkey calls and just literally would call each other on the phone how does this sound and start calling to each other <laughs> like dude it's a little like high pitch like you need to tone that down a little or like right and we literally that's what we literally do like Every day before turkey season, we were probably 13 years old. Nice. And I called my first turkey in when I was 14 nice. with a mouth call. That's awesome. And we were, you know, and I I really think that that's why I got good at it because I all we did was literally be on the phone. Turkey, well, now we would never talk, just turkey call. Right. Now it's, it's probably almost second nature when you pop it in, right? It's probably Yeah, I don't even need to really practice just to just go in. And it just happens. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Now, do you use... Do you use decoys a fair amount or not really? Uh, it d- depends on the situation. N- normally, no, because I like to run and gun. Okay. I, I don't have a, much patience when it comes to turkeys. If I know one's not playing balls with me, I'll get up and move on and get one, go on the one that's that's talking, that's willing. Right. If one's gobbling every two, three, ch- every time, I'm like, all right, he has hens with him, or he just isn't going to commit. Right. So I'll go find a bird that's hot right. and try to call him in. So moving around, like I get so nervous going 20, 30 yards out in front of me, trying to stick a decoy out and then moving back. To me, that's too much movement. Right. And you're moving closer to the turkey. 
and then moving back. You know, I don't. Right. And I noticed that like when I'm in the hardwoods or in the thicker areas, like one turkey, when you're turkey hunting like that, no decoy is beneficial. But sometimes, you know, we go, man, I wish I had the decoy because he hung up 40 yards right. or, or 50 yards and right. he didn't see the see the hen, so he stopped and isn't coming. Right. But a lot of times, like when you're calling and they're coming in, you know they're coming, and you now you lay eyes, but he's 70 yards out, 60 yards out, and you know he's coming. If you call when, like, he can't see you, I don't think he truly can pinpoint you yet. Right. But when he's looking and you call – he knows exactly where you're at that minute you make that noise. Right. And then he'll look. All right, there's no hen there. He knows something's up if it's a smart bird. Smart bird, right. And usually they are. Right. <laughs> nice. Especially when you're hunting long beards. Yeah. So, yeah, the decoy is a situational thing. I love using it in fields because if one's not talking and they see it, they can, can come, in, but come in. Yeah. It's tough for them to see that in the woods. Yeah. yeah. So Nice. But, yeah. Nice man. So you had a good turkey season. It's not over for you yet. You got another turkey tag to I have fill, a second right? Tag. I'm gonna head up actually this weekend. Nice. And it's probably my last chance in PA. Yeah. To try to kill a bird. I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm actually heading to New York the following weekend. Um, I don't know if you know George Romanchuk. Name uh, sounds familiar for some reason. He's with Flatline Moito. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, actually heading up to his cabin in New York. Got a. a New York tag nice. for turkey, and him and I are going to go turkey hunting together up there. But nice. So I chose to give up a PA weekend to go there. So it's well, you got one. You got yeah. one in the books already. You yeah. filled one tag already. So it's always cool to go hunt somewhere new and check something else out. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's kinda... going to be fun regardless. Like him and I, we've known each other since we were kids, and we have like so much fun together. It's nice. it's kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, speaking of fun, man. So let's talk a little bit about your deer season this past year. So. You know, so this deer season, like for everyone out there listening, you know, you're the one who turned me on to the, actually the swamp that I was hunting this yeah. year. You know, it was um, through the conservancy group that we're both a mem- members of. Right. Um, and that was where I got on that, you know, good deer. And so there was a lot of texting back and forth with you and I of like, you know, hunting these different properties and stuff like that. Um, kind of coaching each other on like, hey, I saw this today. You know, any deer moving for you today? And it was, I mean, I'll tell you what, man, it's nice. You know, I, I don't really have any, you know, many buddies on the eastern side of PA other than you and my buddy Wilson, you know, that, um, that get out and do a lot of hunting or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's nice to have We're diehards like we are. Yeah. You know, they're just ate up with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and so it's, you know, I don't, you two are the kind of the two guys that I know that's like, I can count on, like I can shoot a text to him, but like, Hey man, you've been out this week. And you're, it's like, one of you is going to be out. Like Wilson goes out like almost every day. It seems like, like he hunts just about every morning and every evening, you know, just because his job and like the, the spots he hunts are really close between like where he lives and where he works. So he's able to get out a lot. Um, but you know, so I was super stoked this year. Well, we'll be back up for a second. Like every day when one of us would go out, like we would, you would text me like, you going out today? Like, yeah. Or I'd be like, I'm in the timber now. And you're like, call me whenever you kill that pig. He's like, I want to help drag him out. (laughs) And so we would go back and forth like that the entire time. But you know, you were the one who were dragging pigs out. (laughs) So I, I, I did not, um, so, you know, was that on one of the, it was on one of the conservancy properties. It was. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So walk me through, through that hunt. So I knew this deer was there, not from trail camera, yep. just from a visual sighting in the end of October. So yep. I told myself that's the only deer I'm going to shoot in this property unless something bigger comes out. Yep. Um, so I stuck to my guns and that's 
hard to do. Yep. Um, you know, so I see a nice buck, I get super excited. And yeah. I, I get an itchy <laughs> trigger finger and I just want to, you know, send an arrow through their lungs. Yep. But uh, that's hard to control. Yeah. Uh, but I did it before and I'm like, I have to do this again. Like, right. Because the one year I shot a buck and, I, you know, you you never dissatisfied with killing an animal. Right. But you some t- something told me that I wasn't. I'm like, I want to go out and kill another deer. And in Pennsylvania, you only can kill one buck. Right. And when I felt that I wanted to go kill another buck the next day, right. I was like, it didn't sit well with right. me. And I'm like, that's why I, I'm going to pay more respect to what I do and right. and only go after the one that The I one choose. that you want. Yeah. 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 So I got, I got on this deer. And I, I knew he was in the area. And um, Now, was this property hot early in the year? This property gets good around mid-October. Mid-October. Yeah. Okay. Um, so early in the season... We, because um, a buddy and I hunt it together. Yep. He actually killed a buck mid-October. We, but we knew this buck was there from day one. As soon as trail cameras start getting put out. Okay. Like, all right, this buck's here. He lives here. That was his target buck, and um, we ended up harvesting him. I actually got that buck on film, which was pretty cool. I remember you sending me that. Yeah. Um. So he ended up killing that deer. So that now that this kind of leaves his property to me. Unless he wants to go shoot a doe. Right. But he knew uh, I wanted to go kill a buck. So he kind of like, you know, God, man, just get out there. Right. I'll go with you. I'll sit with you. But I won't shoot until you shoot. Right, <laughs> you right, know? right. Um, so I was able to hunt when I wanted. On like, I picked like good weather days and stuff like that. So this deer, I go away every year up to my cabin. And I hunt the first week of November, typically. We kind of play the moon a little bit. Okay. Long story short, was up there all week. It wasn't successful at all. And it, you have a hammered deer up there that you're after too. I was. I well, was, I don't know. This year, did you know he was still around? I do know he. he well, he I know you. Through. I know you knew he made it through this year, but did you know he was there last year? So there's two different bucks. Okay. That I knew of up there last year. I had laid eyes on the that buck the year before. Knew he survived. Set up everything, set up shop for this deer. Right. Never got any intel from him at all. But in the meantime, found a new buck. I'm like, whoa, this. He was, he was a stud. Yeah. And yeah. and finding him wasn't from trail camera, of course, until, because I never checked them. Yep. I just hunted it first and then pulled all the cards on the way out. But the very first sit, I see this buck. I'm like, holy moly, this thing's really nice. Yeah, that's, good deer. That's the one I'm shooting. And then I pull my cards. I'm like, okay, he lives here. Right. Um, yeah, but never got another opportunity at him that through the week and our archery season ended upstate. So down here we can hunt extra time. Right. Just for folks out there listening, like, so Pennsylvania, you know, the archery season statewide will come in, let's just call it October one. It's the first Saturday of October or the last Saturday of September, depending on where the, where the date falls. And then, you know, in PA, statewide well so let me back up for a second so that's the statewide opener there's certain wmus within the state which you know tom and i both live in a select few of those wmus which are on the eastern part of the state in which some of them are uh, out around pittsburgh um you know it opens up mid-september called september 15th basically the suburbs of the major cities yeah and then it'll run to statewide runs to the saturday before um i'm sorry it's the you have a week in between archery season ending and rifle season. No, 
a week or two it weeks. It stays open. Well, no, here it does, but like statewide, there's a week gap. Like if you go there's back. There's two weeks, I think. Two weeks, okay. Because yeah. they got bear season in between. Oh, that's there. right. Yep, yep. You're right. So there's a two week gap between archer season ending and rifle season coming in the first Monday after Thanksgiving. Again, around the major cities, the suburbs around the major cities, there is no gap. You can hunt up to and th- up to and through the archery se- or the it rifle season. Basically, never closes. Yeah, yeah. You can hunt it from basically September fifteenth all the way through January twenty sixth. January twenty sixth, January 29th. To there's a there's a gap in there where it does close, but it's it's might be closed for a week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the deer really don't get a break. But so, right. So the moral of the story is, is that hunting statewide take- closed. You there you were still able to hunt down here. So I took advantage of that situation. I was able to hunt now, which I think is some of the better hunting during the rut because PA closed. I mean, it's funny you say that. The eleventh. Yeah, yeah it always closes around any like somewhere between the anywhere between like the tenth and like the twelfth usually, just depending on how the dates fall. Feels I have like. two favorite times of year to hunt for whitetail, mature whitetails. The very end of October, I don't really like hunting them during the actual so-called rut mm-hmm. the first week in November or second week in November. But then they get from the, like the 12th through the 20th. Yep. Then the big bucks are back on their feet. It's funny you say that. Cause I had, we had, uh, John and I had Don Higgins on and his absolute favorite time to try to kill a big deer is right around Thanksgiving is his favorite time. Cause his, and I mean, if you think about it, the math works out, right? Because your does first cycle in, you know, I know the one spot that I hunt in Ohio, like the does will cycle in like when he, like around the sixth is like when they're coming in, like th- third things will start to get sporty. And then it's usually like the sixth, seventh and eighth is like, are like the really hot days. It seems like in that, in that particular spot. And then, you know, you have lockdown and, and so on and so forth that occurs. Right. And then the does that came in that didn't get bred, they'll come back in 30 days later. Right. So if you do the math, it's like, well, when do they start to heat up? The early does will start to heat up in, you know, you know, mid to late November, right? And the does that came in, quote unquote, on time or late will come in at the end of November, very beginning of December, right? And so his favorite time is that Halloween, or I'm sorry, that uh, Thanksgiving time frame because he's like, there's more competition for fewer does at that point. So now, and does are now spread out as far as like does that haven't been bred aren't concentrated, right? So you don't have like a doe family here. It's like they may have all been bred, so now he's got to go to doe family over here and check this bedding area, this bedding area, because right. there aren't hot does in every kind of spot necessarily. Yep. And so they have to move a lot more. And that's his favorite time to catch a, a big, smart buck be dumb. Yep. You know? that, that, that I agree because I've seen the biggest bucks I've ever seen in Pennsylvania in early October, right around Halloween. And at, for the past three years in a row, I've seen which would – Everyone would call a shooter in PA, probably 130 plus three years in a row right. in between that October time frame. Yep. And then, you know, you can't hunt upstate after that. Yeah. So I come home, and the previous year I knew of trail camera. I'm like, man, there was a lot of big buck on my trail cam. Right. After, like, this second week, but I had already been tagged out last year. So this year I wasn't tagged out. And I'm like, this, I was super excited to get in there. I knew this one buck was in there. And I'm like, and there could potentially be absolute giant comes through there one day. A cruiser. Yeah. 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 So that, that day I got set up. I, uh, after work, got out of work, went in, got in the saddle, climbed up the tree, 
and I had, I think I set everything up that day. So this is the very first sit in this tree. And I think it might've been my actual, maybe like fifth time ever using the saddle. Right. (laughs) So I'm not, you know, exactly seasoned out of this thing yet. Right. Right. Um, so I get all set up and I wasn't there more than five minutes and I see two button bucks actually right feeding and I'm like man that's... all right cool seeing deer already this is good because I didn't get in there super early like I'd like to right I had to kind of sneak in and uh, which was nice about the saddle I was able to set up super, super quiet, quiet yeah and super fast yeah. um and within maybe a half hour after that I see my first buck come through I think it was a, like a little four pointer or a spike mm-hmm and then another buck comes through. Oh, so you knew at that point you know you're in a, in a you're in a good spot. And it, here comes and he's like a little bit bigger. Yep. So now there's two butt bucks and the four pointer and a six pointer, twenty five yards in front of me at the tree I picked, just hanging out. And now the two start sparring, and I'm like, this is pretty cool, right. <laughs> you know? I'm like, right. I got two bucks, semi going at it in front of me, making a little noise, and, and here comes another. Here comes another buck. Right. And this one's an eight, a small eight-pointer. I'm like, man, this is crazy. Like, it's not even prime time yet. There's three bucks in front of me and two button bucks. Not a doe in sight. So what was the, what was the, what was the, the I guess, the, the magic of that spot? Like, what, was it in between, like, two bedding areas? Two, like it's definitely in between or? two bedding areas, yeah. for sure. And there's a swamp there, too, okay. as well. So, so were they following, like, a soft edge, like, around the swamp? Is so, that... So there's, it's, this is a, a natural, as natural as a funnel as you can get. So there's a creek. Mm-hmm. So it, I'm, I'll put you in my, how I see it. I'm sitting in my saddle. To my left, there's a creek. And that's kind of open, open from where I'm sitting. It's pretty open. I can see all the way to the creek. And that's maybe a hundred yards. Okay. To my right, right below me, it's, it's a very like thick channel. Um, maybe some like sticker bushes and it's just, it's, it's thick cover there. And then it turns into a swamp and then like a oak swamp, like there's oak trees and it comes, there's a little knoll in there where the acorns are falling in there. Right. So like they feed in there and they're bedding in this swamp. Okay. And then up on top of the hill, there's, there's a development. So there's houses up there. So there's not much place for these deer to go besides up and down this channel in between. Basically they're not going to walk through the water too much. They do, but they're you know right, right. They're they're going to avoid it when they can. And where I had set up this stand, I had noticed where they come out of the bedding, they cross right through here, okay, out of the swamp, into the open area, and kind of feed. And down, you know, maybe three hundred yards in front of me is this big overgrown field, mm-hmm. and they bed in there. Because, I mean, that stuff is over my head. Okay. Yeah, I remember you, like, you showing me the video of like yeah. the, uh, the recovery or whatever. That shit was tall. Yeah, that stuff was yeah. over, over your head. So the doe's bed in there, the doe's bed in the swamp, and behind me, they, there's it's pretty thick way behind me, like maybe another 300 yards is another really thick right. bedding area. And mind you, we're in the sub- suburbs of Philadelphia. Yeah. There's more deer around than in your normal typical hunting areas. Right, right. So, which this night, this day that I shot this deer was crazy. I thought, I can't believe I didn't see a doe. Not one doe. That's interesting, yeah. So these... Because usually these spots are polluted with does. Yes. Yeah. 
So I think they just got all ran out of there by. Well, the Bucks, I'm sure, have been chasing. Yeah, for they're a just while chasing they just, around. Yeah. They're just not there, but they're still lurking for them there. Yep. So these four or three deer that are there now, the three buck and the two bucks, kind of feed away from me, and head towards the creek. And now I just know that they're over there doing something, but I can't see them anymore. So I'm like grunting a little bit, not much. I think I did like three grunts and just stopped. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so <coughs> it's getting probably about like a half hour before, maybe 45 minutes before dark. <coughs> and I see this big body moving out of the swamp. <coughs> I'm like, that's a buck. I, I know it's a buck without seeing its antlers, putting binos on them, anything. I'm like, I, that's, that's a buck. And that's a mature deer just from body size. I'm yep. looking at him. <coughs> he steps out I'm like, oh my God, I think that's the buck. I want that's right. the buck I saw early in October. So I put my bonnet on. I'm like, that's him. I'm like, oh my God, he's like 80 yards away. So I sent out, sent out a couple grunts and then I snort wheezed at him because I knew he's probably the dominant buck in this area. I haven't sure. seen a bigger one. Yep. And he, he pays no attention to any of that. But later thinking about it, he had to have hear, heard me do that. Right. Because he came, after he went and messed with the three bucks that were over there, he kind of ran them off. Because I saw the one run, and that was the small eight-pointer. And I'm like, oh, there's the eight-pointer. Next thing you know, I'm looking up, and I am I see a deer. And I, I had thought it was the small eight-pointer just working his way back towards me. And I put the bonos on. I'm like, oh, my God, it's him. And he's literally coming on a rope straight to my tree. And I don't know where I lost him in that mix, right. but I did. And, and I'm like, he's 40 yards away coming directly at me so i'm like oh my god get the bow and i'm ready and now it's at the point where it's the deer the tree and me so i'm in between i'm well hidden this deer has no idea but he comes in i mean i'm telling you directly downwind and he gets about 30 yards out starts scent checking i'm like man i'm gonna bust it but i give 100 total credit to the limit shield and ozonic as (laughs) a uh team there right because there's no way if i didn't have that stuff he he's bossing me yeah i've had a i had a couple experiences this year where it 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 bought me some some yards we'll put it now it wasn't a shooter you know but i had i had deer on a few different occasions that were downwind of me that didn't bust me until way late and they should have busted me way before they did you know what i mean like and when i say busted me they didn't blow out of there they just kind of caught a whiff of something and like looked around and then just moved away. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they took off running or whatever, but they just kind of stopped and were like, whoa, something's up. But at that point, it's like, I mean, like they were 10 yards. The one was at five yards. You yeah. know what I mean? It was like... Killable. That, yeah, I mean, it's like the five-yard one. It was like, even if the, even if it wasn't downwind of me, a wind shift, you know what I mean, would have would have done the same thing. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway. Yeah, so uh, what I, th- I give that credit to them. And the fact that those deer that were there earlier in the night were hanging there for a good hour yeah they probably stink like rutting buck yeah exactly you know <laughs> yeah. so uh, like sometimes i stink like rutting buck. yeah <laughs> when i get real into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he he makes his way in and it, you know being the first time hunting out of a sat not first time but first time first, trying to make a kill out of it I, first opportunity to try to shoot a deer out of it and i and now you have a strong side and a weak side in your saddle yep well, this deer, I'm like, where's he coming? I'm like, I hope he comes over right over here. It's going to be a 15-yard chip shot. 
on the strong side. I won't have to make any movement. And that's looks the way he looks like he's coming. And, of course, he goes to my right, which is, would be my weak, weak side. side yep. And I'm like, he's he's going to my right. you got to be kidding me. So I, I pick my bow up over the bridge. Yep. And now I literally look like a pretzel yep. in the tree. Like, I'm all twisted up. <laughs> but I practiced this shot. Yeah. I, I'm like, what if this happens in real life? Like, because you know it will. Eventually, yeah, you know? sure. And I'm yep. like, I so I literally was at my cabin. I climbed the tree on a Sunday and just practiced that shot at 30 yards. Yeah. I don't know, maybe 10, 12 times. I'm like, all right, I can do it. I can pull my bow back. I feel confident that I can make that shot. Yep. So he comes through. He's 25 yards away, and I have like a pie plate area to shoot through that he, that was the only lane I had because it was the first time I, I no trimming lanes or anything. Right. I just broke a couple of branches around me that I could get a, more of a clear shot. So I didn't really want to alert that I was there, but I was going to have to to make the shot through. To get him to stop. To get him to stop. And I never had to do that because he stopped there on his own. Oh, that's awesome. By himself. I could, I'm like, holy crap. This deer's just giving all it up. I can see is his vitals. Like, right. there, if I miss, I'm hitting a twig and I'm not getting them. So if I, but right. if I put it through this pie plate at 25 yards, he's going. He's, he's toast. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did. I, nice. I, mean, I was able to draw back on him and put it right through there. And I wasn't sure of the shot. I knew I hit him a, a, a tad high. And I'm like, man, I think I hit him high. I saw the arrow hanging out on the other side. I'm like, that angle though, I should be coming down straight through both lungs. I was very nervous about the shot. Right. Um, I gave it about a half hour. I made a couple phone calls. I'm like, oh, my God, I just hit a buck. Just, right. You know, your adrenaline's pumping. You're oh, shaking yeah. like crazy. I don't, you don't even remember what happened. Like, no, you have to 100%. go through your timeline on your phone. Yep. So I get down. I check for blood. And there's blood immediately. I'm like, and that like kind of calmed me down. Right. I'm like, but I didn't see this deer fall over. And a rule that I have for myself is if I don't watch it fall over, I'm giving it at least two hours. Right. If I see it in sight, yeah, okay, poof, perfect. I'm going right after you. Right. But if I don't watch it, two hours, minimum. Yep. I don't want to – I lost, uh, you know, deer before, and I don't ever want to do that again. Right. That, and there'll be – not going to be any any less dead later. Exactly. <laughs> it's just going to be more dead, you know. So. Yeah, I never had a dead deer run away from me. So. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I, that's what we did. I, I had my dad come get me, pick me up out of the woods because he actually ran towards my exit route and – I was like, I'm not walking that way. So I had to escape out a different way. I had right. to get my dad pick me up, which is kind of weird in a suburban area. I'm like, I'm like sneaking through. I'm like, <laughs> right. hey, dad, I'm on that, the corner of here and here. You got to come pick me up. I'll pop out of the woods. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I popped out. He picked me up and I told him everything. And we went back two hours later. And there he was. He was toast 80 yards away. That's I can't awesome, believe man. he just fell out of sight. Like, right. I mean, he, awesome. he was stiff as a board too. I, he said so he died immediately. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which was great. So I was, I was pumped. It's not my biggest buck to date, but um, it was my second biggest buck. Right. I, at, at the time, I thought it was my biggest buck. Right. And I mean, the fact that you kind of picked him out. Yeah. I mean, it was which like, it was cool. This is the one I want to go after. And, and he gave you an opportunity, which is killer. I have a question, though. So, you know, do you think, so if you were setting a tree stand up in that spot, how would you have set it up? In that same tree? Yeah. So the question really, I'm leading you to ask you. I had a tree stand in that spot. Would you have been on the front side of that tree or the back side where you were on your in your saddle? I probably would have faced it the same way that I had it. So you you would have been on the front well, side. Well, I would have been fa- like the way I was sitting in the saddle. I would have been facing 
it would, I would have been my back would have been to the tree the way I would have set the tree stand up. Yeah. So I would have had to look behind me from where that deer had shot. I okay. had shot. So you would have been set up facing the creek that general direction so you could keep the deer the creek would have been to my right at this point instead of my left right and um the swamp would have been right to my left yeah compared so it would have been a much tougher it would have been a much harder shot probably yeah probably or no actually it wouldn't have because you would have came out on my left side oh yeah you're right he no because as long as you put the put it on the back side of the tree back side of the tree yeah because what a lot of mistake a lot of folks will make is they'll hang it on the front side of that tree but I didn't see. know exactly. These deer kind of move everywhere through there. So not like I could have hung it on any side of the tree and been in a good spot, but I would have hang, hung it on the backside anticipating that they would have come in through here right. as more cover. And I would like, I like looking into that swamp because that's where a lot of these deer come funnel on down this way. Right. And yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. Cause I think, you know, sometimes people hang, hang it on the front side of the tree where they think that you're going to come from, which is a challenge because then you're kind of setting yourself up to be open and like in line of sight, right? Yeah. Depending on how much breakup you have and, and stuff like that. Um, the interesting thing about hunting out of a saddle, though, is that you're able to kind of position yourself looking the direction you think deer are going to come from. You know what I mean? Whereas, you're like, hidden or, right, already. Whereas in a tree stand, it's like you almost want to position yourself on the op- on the opposite side of the tree from where you think the deer are going to come from. So you can use the tree like you would in a saddle, Exactly. but you're also setting yourself up to a slight disadvantage that you're not able to kind of see that direction. Right. It's like, right. I mean, you can stand of course and face backwards. Like that's always an option, right? You can, can do that. But for those who are sitting, that's kind of challenging. You're constantly looking back over your shoulder. Yeah. You know, the whole set, which is a, which is a pain in the ass. I'll tell you what, after using the saddle for pretty much half a season last mm-hmm. year, um, I was going to ask you, what do you think? And a lot of the late season, which is mainly what I hunt out of late season. Mm-hmm. I love it. Like I don't, I find it to be comfortable now. Mm-hmm. And the times that I did sit in a tree stand and not use my saddle, it I almost felt like, man, I really, I really want to get back in the saddle. Like, right? I just and hunt up because it's just it was different. It's a cool feeling. It's um, quiet. Yeah, it's quiet. Light. And, yeah, and it's the comfortable. I I found it to be comfortable. Like yeah. I don't. I'd much rather hunt out of my saddle now than an actual tree stand. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same way. Look, like I, I think there's an application for for all of them. I'm not saying there's not a place for a tree stand because I mean I hunt out of a saddle majority of the time. And there were hunts in Ohio that I was using a tree stand. You know, while I was in Ohio because I was presetting some. Like when I got there, I preset one stand in particular. You know, just because I knew I was going to hunt that spot probably multiple times. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to. It was up a nasty climb and stuff like that. And so I didn't want to have to lug something in there every, every time necessarily. So I was looking to try to set something up and then be able to kind of get into it. But I wore my, my saddle as my harness every day. So I was basically using the platform of it and right. hunting, hunt and saddle hunting just with a larger platform yeah. because I liked the, the freedom and the mobility that I had in the tree to be able to make any shot yeah. wearing a saddle. You know what I mean? So that to me is like, I don't know. At least for me, that's kind of the game changer. You know, it is, I, I I haven't used a platform yet. Out the saddle hunting. Okay. Um, Were you using ring of steps? I I tried the ring of steps. I didn't like it. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I had a couple screw in pegs. Okay. And I would set them up strategically, and then I'd had one, um, climbing stick. Okay. Which was my main platform. Right. And right. I just kind of sat there with both feet on that climbing stick on the two. Yeah. And then I would be able to adjust myself side to side off the 
screw in steps on each right. side of the tree. And then, you know, set, you know, to adjust and be more comfortable one way, set it like this for a couple of hours or an hour and then sit like that for an hour. Right, right. Um, that's how I found it to be most comfortable for me because I didn't get the the platform yet. Um, right. The platform, I think, will be the the game changer and the nail in the coffin for me with saddle hunting. And then yeah. once I do that, I'm going to be like, uh, this, yeah. uh, this is it. This is it. This is yeah. the only way I'm going to do it now. Yeah. But, you know, with saddle hunting, it brings up the point like what you're talking about, like tree stands and stuff. If you're a private land hunter and not so much the hardcore DI you know, DIY, do it yourself, let's go public land. Like, Hang and hunt. Yeah, yeah, the cool, like, kind of Instagram and social media thing to do right now. <laughs> right, right. Everything's public land-based, which yeah. is which is awesome. I love it. Hey, I love it, too, because it make, you know creates a bunch of awareness around it. Exactly. So it's like, you know, I, I'll take the good with the bad. I love it. But, you know, it's it's the Instagram social media thing right now, and which I'm not knocking that, but it kind of right. am. In right, way. right, right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when someone says to you, Hey Tom, no disrespect. The next yeah. thing you can expect out of their mouth is like something that's going to be disrespectful. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but like, if you have, if you're a private land hunter, or you know, and you use tree stands, the saddle really isn't going to be for you because you can set your tree stand up yeah. and be it can stay there all year mm-hmm. long. And no, normally, you're hunting the same spots, and they're successful for you. And if you're doing a minor adjustment, you're there to to do it, make the adjustment in make advance. The adjustment. Yeah. It's, and, you know, you can drive your ATV or wherever yep. you need to do to do this pretty simple. Yep. You know, but I hunt both. I hunt private yep. and public. Yep. So when I'm on the public land, I just it's just so much easier for me to bring the saddle. Yep. So exactly. that's that's where I find advantages in both sections of it, like, because I hunt private and public. Yep. See, now, me hunting pri- uh, our private ground, I still use the saddle. I did, too. Yeah. Just because... so. I 100% agree with you. It's like if you're a dude and you, or if your family owns property and you got some private land to hunt that, you know, you live close to and stuff like that, it's like tree stands might just make more sense for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I don't know that with the experience that I had this year hunting out of a saddle, I don't know that I would say that it would be the best option still, just because I still think even minus carrying anything in, cause you, then you can make the argument like I've got 15 preset or pre-hung tree stands, you know what I mean? For every possible decent spot on the property, right? I got an early season, I got early season spots. I got rut spots. I got pre-rut spots. I got late season spots, like whatever the case is, you know, so I don't have to carry anything, right? That's because that's the big thing with saddle hunting. Everyone's like the weight, the weight, the weight, right? It's like super light, but if you're not carrying anything, well, the weight doesn't become like an issue, right? Mm -hmm. But I would still say, you know, one of the issues still is, is just, the shootability out of it, right? Which is there's not a dead spot on the tree. Like there's not a dead spot at all. Now, you know, and guys like Cody DeQuisto, you know, and and I'll use him as an example because I think he's a great deer hunter. And, and I know there's a lot of guys that do this and I'm just using him as an example, but you know, he will strategically set up to where the deer will only be able to come from this one area. And he will set his stand up to specifically take a shot sitting down off his left. And he knows that that's what's going to happen. Right. And he will set up to where like there's a bunch of cover on his right or whatever, where it's like there's no chance in hell he's going to have a shot to his right hand side, right? And so for someone who's going to set something up that strategically, then yeah, maybe a saddle doesn't work because you only have one shot. That's the only shot you're going to take, right? But I'm going to guess that most guys aren't taking the time to do that. And I'm just going to say that most people, one, maybe don't have the time to assess the property that well, right? 
or one, maybe they just don't have that much cover in that particular tree that they need to be in because yeah. they're hunting out of a tree stand, but this tree over here would be better, but the tree stand won't fit in it. So I still think there's applications, but not nearly, to your point, it's not nearly as um, as, as required, maybe, right. as, you know, than it is on, on public. Now, Pu- I like this saddle idea. If you have the 15 preset, do you just take your saddle because that's your harness and then you're still hunting? You got best of both worlds. That, and then you're like, you're sitting in your stand and you notice all morning, oh my God, I just saw four bucks cruise that ridge 60 yards in front of me. Mm-hmm. All, and the does were up there. Nothing was in shooting range for me. You can literally get out of your stand and move up to that ridge without. And don't even have to take your stand. Thinking about anything. Just yep. get down because it's in your backpack or on you already Yep, and move. And you're done. Yep. And that was the reason why, that was how I kind of used it in Ohio whenever I said I I did use a stand in the one location. It was really just the platform. It was because I was wearing my saddle as a harness whenever I was on that platform and was hunting out of it like it was a saddle. But if I wanted to sit, it was a climber. So if I wanted to sit, I could. And I basically had a set of sticks that were by that stand. Like, I say hidden, it was out out of sight kind of, right? Yeah. That way, if I needed to get down to make a move, I had sticks there and I had my saddle already on me and I could literally just take off. Now I was going to have to use a stick as a platform, but that was fine. You yeah. Know? It's, it's like it allowed me to move 50, 60 yards if I needed to and not have to worry, not have to worry about it. Yep. Um, the other reason why I use the saddle on private at our, at our family pieces is just because I live like you do from your property. I live three and a half hours, four hours away from it yep. to where it's like, I don't want someone hunting it when I'm not there and just climbing up into a stand and hunting. Also don't want them stolen. You know what I mean? Yep. So, you know, they can't steal it if it's not hanging in the tree. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, yeah, man. I mean, for me, I don't I don't foresee myself. Use, I won't say that I'll never use a stand again because I don't like to say never. I think there's applications. Like, look, if I know I'm going to hunt a certain spot opening morning back at the family farm or something like that, I might hang a stand and just know I can crawl up into it. Yeah. You know, because it's a four-hour drive back. If I drive back after work, I'm getting there at like midnight. I'm back up at the ass crack of dawn to hunt. I'm tired. Probably going to make noise if I try to do a hanging hunt. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like probably be better for me just to have something set. That way I can just climb into it. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, which I'd probably use something like that in, in that scenario. But, Absolutely. So what's your setup going to be for this year, man? Like what are you uh, – because I'm changing mine up a little bit. Well, I'm definitely going to get the platform Yep. for a saddle hunt. How are you climbing? Uh. Probably the climbing sticks again, mm-hmm. um, unless I like I've looked into different types of steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you said you had the wild edge. I got a couple wild edge steps that I'm using this year with a, a nader and a suader. Yeah. yeah, I I was checking those out like online, and I saw them at the Harrisburg show, mm-hmm. and they look pretty cool. Mm-hmm. They look they look legit. They look sturdy. Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought about um. Actually, the custom lone wolf gear, I think they came out with some super lightweight gear this year. Yeah, man. They got the, they got those, those the sticks. Uh, yeah, the two the two step sticks the are the ones that sticks. I kind of dug on. Um, I'm not a big fan of like the big long, like no. regular size sticks anymore. I mean, I have a set of those lone, lone wolf ones and I'll, I'll use them like if I need to. Like, you know, I'm not going to not use them or whatever, but I did change the wild edge for this year. Um, if I were going to buy sticks, I would probably go with the Lone Wolf ones or Dan and Faults, you know? Yeah, I, I noticed this too, but I didn't actually, like, hold them, see, see them, them, and lay yeah. them, my hands on them. But, like, the the Lone Wolf sticks, I saw them in ATA, and they were sick. Yeah. I was like, 
their pack, you know, the packability out of them is, is cool. Yeah. That that's what I'm looking for is like, what's going to be more convenient for me? Yeah, yeah. and the, I like the lightweight aspect of the sticks, and either and the wild uh, edge mm-hmm. steps like they seem just as good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, and like I never, I don't even really know what the nader. In the sway yeah, so when is. we're when we're done here, man, we'll go in my little archery shop and I'll show you the setup. Yeah, I think you'll, I think you would, I think you would dig it. I probably will. You know, because it's it's super light, um, and just the way you're able to climb, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but you know, it's nothing, nothing too too crazy. I think I've seen some videos on on like Tethered Nation that they yeah, I Greg has put out a bunch there. of videos with a bunch of cool stuff, climbing mechanisms yeah. and stuff like that. And that was really, he's kind of who turned me on to it. Cause we, he and I actually did a podcast where we were talking about climbing mechanisms. Cause I was looking at like the single rope, like unassisted or single rope assisted kind of climbing style or whatever, where you're really not using sticks or anything really at all. You're mm-hmm. using like a, an arborist style of climbing or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just don't think, I don't think it's going to work. That's going to work for me necessarily. And so, cause that was really what I was trying to possibly thinking of doing. And then I ended up meeting up with the guys from wild edge while we were at Harrisburg. Um, and actually I'm having him come on the show here in the not so distant future. Um, and I started looking at the steps a little bit more closely. I had a couple of buddies who had run them in, in the past. And I think, you know, just like anything, man, saddles aren't for everybody. Some guys are going to always hunt out of tree stands and it's not because they couldn't hunt out of a saddle. They just prefer it. Right. You know, some guys prefer sticks. Some guys prefer like the wild edge type steps. You know, some guys, it's like, I have friends that use those steps. I have other friends who, who don't use them. Who just, it's not their thing, you know? So it's, you know, the cool thing about saddle hunting that I really like about it is it's almost like choose your own adventure. Yeah. You know what I mean? You kind of build your system to what's going to work best for you and what you prioritize. Like, so for me, it's like, I prioritize like less bulk, lightweight. And if I have to work a little harder to make it work, like I'm okay with that as long as like I'm able to like not have to carry 40 pounds of shit on my back. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, exactly. Because some of the places that I hunt are, you know, especially upstate, are long hauls. Yeah. I, I don't even. I've never tracked it like how actually far it is, but it feels like two miles, and it actually very well could well, be, could be. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I just never tracked it, but and I'm I'm all about the lightweight, and, and I like to film my hunts, and if I want to walk two, two and a half miles into my set. I, I want it to be as lightweight as possible to be able to carry my camera gear because that stuff gets super, super heavy. Yep. The, but, I'll actually film more this year because of the saddle because it's actually, for me, it's easier to film out of the saddle than it is out of a tree stand. And, that, and so, I don't have the extra weight, so I'm willing to carry my camera equipment. Exactly. Before, when, it's like I wouldn't take it because I'm like, man, I really don't want like two more things in my pack. That's when I would always have my tree stands preset yep. in a spot and yep. like oh man I didn't kill a deer because they were 50 yards over that way and yep. I didn't feel like I'm just too lazy to take the tree stand down and move it I'm like right. oh well maybe one will swing by here <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll get maybe I'll yeah. decide to take a left turn yeah you know? maybe tomorrow's the day <laughs> right right nice but so I know we're we're going on a little over an hour here but there's one big question I wanted to ask you you know that we uh, you know I mentioned this on a previous podcast and uh, I, I did it with Wilson, my buddy Wilson that came on. And, uh, you know, it's one of these things where um, as hunters, like, you know, we're super passionate about hunting. We love hunting, um, you know. But when we get asked why we hunt, we sometimes have a hard time answering it, right? Like we we feel it. We yeah. feel the answer, you know what I mean? But we have a hard time putting it into words why we hunt. And there's really never, ever a right or a wrong answer necessarily, 
it's more that there's just, you know, how we articulate it, I guess, you know? And so I did the first one with my friend Wilson, you know, where we talked about it a little bit and went through the different reasons why he hunts. I talked a little bit about why I hunt and really what this is, is for me is to talk to a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys who, you know, like you, I consider a friend, some guys who maybe I don't know as well, right. That I'll have on and we'll talk about it or whatever. Cause I want to get everyone's perspective to see all the different reasons why people hunt and what the different prioritizations of, of why they hunt are. Cause really, I think it helps me better understand why I hunt, you know, cause I haven't fully got there yet. Yeah. And, and what I'm hoping is, is that I'm hoping it makes people think about why they hunt and maybe think about when someone asks them how to best kind of articulate it. So we position hunting in the right light, Absolutely. you know? So I'm going to throw out the big question and we'll, we'll peel this onion together. Okay. But you know, so why does my good friend, Tom, why does he hunt? I, I would have to say the main reason why I hunt is because I'm, I spend a lot of time with my family. Yep. I'm with my dad. I'm with my uncles. I'm with some of my closest friends, you know, and we're out enjoying this all together. It's more of a camaraderie. Like if, you know, the text messages that come through, even with, you know, the guys from Relive the Hunt, that's that's a separate camaraderie, camaraderie that we have. Right. You and I have our own camaraderie. Right. I like to be able to share the stories with people and share the hunt with people. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest reasons why I hunt because not only do I love being in the outdoors all the time, right. I love sitting in my tree stand, tree, st- tree stand therapy, you know, yep. like even if I don't see a deer, I, I, you know, a bad day in the woods is better than a good day at work. Right. That's all I always say. That to <laughs> you know? So, right. Right. Um, but yeah, man, this is something about like being there with your family and being able to harvest a deer or witness somebody harvest a, one of their biggest bucks ever, or even just a buck, mm-hmm. it's it turns into a party. Like, yeah, because I hunt with at least twelve to fifteen guys during that archery week that I'm there. Right, and that's like everybody wants to shoot their deer that week because of how fun it is. Right, um, and, you know, because we get to share it with all the other guys. That yeah, are there. we get to share it. We get to tell the stories. We get to relive it. We get to drink beers about it, and yep. and just you know, and then on top of that, you have somebody always there to help you. Right. Um, like I, I see some guys that hunt on their own and they never get to experience that camaraderie. They just do it because they're very passionate about what they do or they need the meat and stuff like that. And they mm-hmm. go out and hunt to, you know, provide for the family. And that's great. But you know, there's a whole other world out there right? of being, sharing this success with others. Right. Whether you're the one being successful or not. Right. And that's what drives me to go all the time because I like not only that I'm I'm super passionate about it and I enjoy the meat and I use the meat as you know as much as I possibly can. Like I would say, the bigger reason for me would be just sharing it. With just folks. sharing it. Like, yeah, yeah. Being just, able to be with that with that. Being group able of folks. to help somebody. Like I like even in turkey season. Like I get more fun out of watching somebody else get a turkey than right. I do. Like. My heart pounds just as hard. Right. When I, if I took you turkey hunting and I called in a turkey for you and you got them, right. I'd be like, that was so cool. Like, right. Be jacked. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd be probably more pumped up than you were. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how I get. Like, <laughs> right. Because I was able to share it with you, witness it. And you, I know the exact emotions, how you feel of the excitement and adrenaline and everything that went through you. And yeah. that's what you get to share with everybody else. Yeah. That's cool, man. I mean, 
people do it for so many different reasons. You know, it's like, I, I, I definitely enjoy being around, being around my buddies. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I'm one of those guys where I, I definitely like to hunt like alone a lot, but it's for the reason that, uh, like for me, I do enjoy like the sharing aspect of it. Cause I, man, it's like one of my favorite things during the course of the year, especially because you live close and Wilson lives close is like the constant text messages with the two of you. Cause it's like, we're, we're doing this stuff right down the street from each other, yep. you know, which is really cool. Um, but the kind of solitude and like therapeutic aspect that I get, it's like, it's that alone time that I like where it's like where I'm getting that, that therapy, you know what right. I mean? From the outdoors. And that to me is a, is a big reason why, you know what I mean? That, that I hunt. Um, there's also the health side of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, I like to eat healthy. I like to live healthy. And it's like, and I just, I feel like there's this thing of like, if I'm going to eat meat, I should probably kind of have a hand in it. Right. I'm yeah. not, I don't like other people doing my dirty work. I'm not right. saying that, you know, everyone has, has to hunt necessarily. Right. If people don't want to, that's, that's fine. But for me, I just feel better about it. Like I sleep better at night knowing that like, you know, there the only blood on someone's hands was my own. Yep. You know what I mean? For this, for this meal or whatever. No um, you and I were talking a little bit as we were, you know, Tom and I were actually at the archer range shooting before we came and did the podcast. And we started talking a little bit about just, you know, guys that we know or that we see, you know, that are super ate up with, with hunting and stuff like that. Just hardcore hunter dudes that, yeah. that we're all buddies with and stuff like that. And the one thing we started talking about a little bit was just, you know, I made the comment and then we stopped because we we're like, oh, we got to talk about this on the podcast. We can't <laughs> yeah, yeah. use it now. But I was like, it's, it's kind of weird that like, as, as I'm getting, you know, as I've gotten older, I guess, you know, I'm more of like a whitetail freak, nut, hunting nut, passionate, ate up with it more so probably than ever in my life. Right. You know, it's like, it seems like every year it gets worse. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt. Know? I was like, but for some reason, I don't know what it's been, but it's like, I feel like even though that has like, like the passion for it has continued to increase, like my ability to balance like my, my personal life, like real life, you know what I mean? With my hunting life, I've been able to kind of strike a better balance, even though I spend more time doing hunting stuff than I did five years ago. Right. And I'm not quite sure how I've done it. Cause it's like, I scout more now than I ever have. You know, it's like, I spend more time looking at topo maps. I spend more time planning than I ever have before. But I feel like maybe a better this might be a better question for my wife. Yeah, <laughs> to be honest. How do I balance? This? Yeah, or am I? Yeah, because <laughs> maybe I think that I am. No, you know, you're and it's like no, you're not. I have not seen you in a week. You know? um, <laughs> you call that balance, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm, just, you know, I'm just curious if you're kind of if you kind of have the same thing or if you feel the same way because I feel like right now it's like I'm, I'm ate up with it more than I ever been before. But I feel like I have more balance than I've ever had before. Where it's Almost like I'm seeing things more clearly, if that makes sense. It's just really weird. Uh, yeah, I think that just comes with our age and maturity levels. That you know, yeah, that that's how that just how it progresses. Yeah, I, I mean, I, for me, like, I I am in the same boat as you. I never scouted as much as I used to. Right. Um. I never paid as much attention to topo maps, and now turkey season sometimes it, a lot of times turns into deer scouting for me when I'm not here in turkey's gobble. I'm, right. I actually just go to places where I deer hunt and hope that I hear a turkey. Right. And I'm scouting. Right. And it's very beneficial for 
deer season because yep. that's stuff I've never done before. When I turkey hunted, I straight turkey hunted. I never thought about, let me look for some buck crops or some sign and right. leaves. The leaves aren't on green up here yet, you know? Right. So it's easy to transition right into deer season when you're up there because it still looks like deer season up there. Right. Up, you know, upstate in the early spring. Yep. Yeah, man. But, uh, you know, but I still go out and I play golf with my buddies, go out and have beers, watch some sports games and, you know, that live that normal life that everybody else lives, not just 100% focused on hunting. But even though I don't think a day goes by that, I don't think about it or talk about it. 100%, man. Like, 100%. So it's it's funny. Something that you said there just made me think of something where it's like, I feel like I'm better. And, like, look, I'm going to put out a disclaimer for everyone out there listening. Like, when I say better, I don't think that I'm, like, the world's greatest hunter. I don't think that I'm better than another person or whatever. Right. When I say better, it's just in the context of, like, how I'm progressing myself, like my own benchmark against myself. Right. But I feel like because I try to take some time, I won't say time away, but I try to like do other things that I feel like it has made me a better hunter because whenever I'm doing it, I'm fully focused on it. You got to step away. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those things almost like when you're training, like you don't, you don't get faster or stronger if you train every single day. Like you have to have the rest day in order for right. your body to recoup so was, it can max out again, you know, two days from now or whatever. Yep. I feel like it's, a, it's been the same almost for me for hunting. It's like the more I've been able to kind of at times disconnect from it and get involved in something else that's interesting. When I come back to it, it's like I see things differently. I see it more clearly because I'm not hazed over from continuing to stare at the same things over and over again. So I have a question for you. Could you hunt every single day? No, I couldn't. Yeah, me I mean, I, I know the popular answer for a lot of guys would be like, yeah, I can yeah, hunt every single day. No, but it's like, I'm be honest with you, man. It's like, I go on some of those hunts, like, you know, I'll go out with Chad to Ohio and we'll hunt for nine days straight or whatever. And you're burning out by at, the end. Oh dude, at the 10th day, it's like, I mean, they're by day, like five, six, it's like, I'm like praying to the God of rain to just to sleep give in me, for a morning, to give me like a, a soaker the next morning so I can sleep in for like an extra two hours just because yeah. it's like, I'm just, my body's thrashed. My mind's thrashed. You know, I yeah. just need, I need a reset, you know, that's what the beauty of for me, which I, I like this and people probably won't believe me. Cause they'll be like, Oh no, you could hunt every day. I'm like, no, nah, I actually enjoy time off sometimes. Like that's why I like that. My cabin's four hours away mm-hmm. because I go up there, I get my fix. I come home and I really think about it. Yep. You know, I wish I could spend three days a row in a row up there or hunt Sunday. Right. So I get, so it makes it much more worth it as mm-hmm. for a trip than just a Saturday hunt. But you, you're like, you are, you're yearning for that next trip and that next trip is so much more yeah. uh, valuable and it means much more to you. Whether you even see a deer or not, you're like, you're just happy to be out there because yep. I just didn't do this for five days straight. Yep. Yeah. I, de- I definitely, I mean, I, I love hunting. I couldn't do it every day. You know what I mean? It's like, I I like that. I like to have a break. Um, It's just my nature too. It's like, I have a lot of interests, you know, hunting is a passion, so it's a little different, but now I like to do a lot of different things, you know, and I I feel like doing other things help you have perspective when you do do the thing that you're passionate about because you look at it differently. Right. It's just, you know, I, I think that you can't, I feel like whenever I get all engulfed in hunting, like I have to try to step away usually like every Every summer, I have to try to make myself, like, try to, as hard as it is, because you're just getting ready to get into the throes of it, I have to try to make myself shut it off for, like, a week if I can, 
and then go back and look at like all the trail camera photos and stuff like that and relook at the topo maps and stuff like that. Because all summer long, I'm so jacked up about it. I look at it and I see the same things over and over again. And I come to the same conclusions over and over again. And then I always find like if I just w- walk away from it, it's usually like we'll go on a family vacation and it's like a week where I'm not doing anything deer related. I'm not looking at trail camera pictures. I'm not pulling cards. I'm not shooting my bow. I'm not doing anything. And then Something I, pops in your head. Exactly. Oh my God. I'll be driving like the seven hours home from wherever we're at. And I'll be like, I'll just look at my life and be like, I just figured it out. Yep. <laughs> I know where he's living. You know what I mean? It's like, it took like getting away from it for a little while to go like, Oh, this thing was staring me right in the face. Yep. You know? And I think it also helps in the fact that like, you know, a ton of guys that like, whether it's a Zach, you know, Farrenbaugh, the hunting public, you know, whether it's talking to Dan Enfold or whoever, it's like one of the things that I've been picking up on more and more that I'm trying to do is like, like reading hot sign and letting the hot sign tell you where to go. And so really, if you're doing that and you're staying true to like, if I'm really, truly trying to see what the deer are doing in that moment and hunt them based on that, all the stuff that I see before is just historical information for me to make a decision, go, Hmm, this played out like this before based on seeing something similar. Right. But you really should just be making your decision based on that hot sign that you're seeing saying hot sign here. This is where I'm hunting. Right. And I feel like I sometimes get in my own head by looking at all the stuff so far in advance and spending so much time with it and driving myself crazy over it that when it right. comes time to make that decision, I go, Nope, I studied this stuff for six months. This is what's going to happen. This is what that deer's supposed to do. This is what he, you know, and it's like, and at the end of the day, that sign that's staring me right in the face is telling me something completely different. Yep. And I've oftentimes walked by it and not paid attention to it and then learned that it bit me in the ass. So yeah, no doubt. I, yeah. I, I feel that way as well too. It's like you're looking at the top of a map and like the deer's got to go through there. And normally they, they would. Right. But 40 yards to your right is where the sign's at. But you set up here because I studied this all summer long. I know. Right. It's like you almost want to will your you being right into existence you're you're right you are right Mm -hmm. you're just not in the right spot yeah you're in the right area yeah Yeah. for sure and you did their homework paid off but now you have to you know fine tooth that they find find comment right yeah exactly but all right man we've been at it for almost an hour and a half dude i know you got a little bit of a drive back home you got an early roll call for the morning start (laughs) yeah so i'm gonna let you get going but before i let you get going brother if you wouldn't mind, let folks know where they can find you on social media and find out more about you. Okay, yeah. Um, on Instagram, uh, I'm at T underscore Titlow19 on IG. Um, Facebook, Tom Titlow. I don't use Facebook that much. I kind of mm-hmm. just scroll through it. Yep. Um, also, check out Relive the Hunt. Um, manage that page as well as a few other guys, Cole, Greg. and yep. All good Russ. dudes. Yeah, all yep. good guys. They, we all kind of throw content on there when we have it. And uh, we also do a podcast as well. Yep. Um, not every week, kind of just do it when we can. It's yep. not, uh, we do it for fun. We don't do it for any other reason besides just right. having fun. So <laughs> Sharing the stories. you guys want to check that out, Relive the Hunt, hence the name. Yep. We, um, we just tell hunting stories. Cool. Get awesome. to know a little bit of detail, but not crazy. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, my phone number is... 
Actually, I think I saw it on a bathroom yeah. stall somewhere. Uh, yeah, eight six seven five three zero nine. Exactly. That, one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. But yeah, guys, just uh, check me out. Give me a follow, and uh, be sure to give uh, Truth from the Stand and Clint a follow as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on, brother. We got to do this more often. Absolutely. We have to make sure we hang out outside of like Louisville and uh, yeah. Indiana. Well, PD Wednesday. Well, PD Wednesday. There you go. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> We're out. Peace. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Tom for joining. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for us. Before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Obsession Bows, Ramcap Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see you. I November's on my heels. Makes me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.